Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Welcome to the Connect Show. This is the content experience. I'm Randy. Anna's with me. And as always, we want to give you a little bit of a sneak peek of what's to come on this week's episode. Now, we have Chris and we have Chris. Not to be confused as the same person. Uh, Chris Sitsuma and Chris Book. And the two of them are great at digging into metrics and measurement and what is the point, as we put it, of all this content that we're creating. And, you know, we, we actually had some fun debates during this one, Anna. Yeah, we had a lot of great stuff uh, to talk about. Now, first off, just as a quick preview, for those of you who are tuning in and looking to get sort of what button do I click in analytics or, you know, what should my average time on page be, that's not going to be this podcast. This is a much more strategic way to look at measurement. It's the way that we should be looking at measurement. And there's so much great advice in here. So even though you're not going to get some of those really tactical, nitty gritty, here's how you measure a blog post, here's how you measure a social post, this is the absolute foundation for content metrics that everybody needs. Absolutely. It's, I, I, I think the way we kind of walked through this was even starting with the, the messaging from leadership and, and how does leadership have to set the expectation that the content we create matters. But to me, the, the even more interesting part was in the, the second half where we dug into this idea of who is responsible for measuring content. And I, I just want to put it at the record, I was just being the shit disturber. I fully agreed with the three of you. <laughs> I never got the opportunity to kind of redeem myself within the podcast. And you know, as you listen in, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, this is a bit of a long one. So so why don't we just roll? Anna, you got to bring in the Chris's, so we'll 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 go live right here. Hey, Chris and Chris. It's so great to have you guys here. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having us. I love just the combination of people on the call today because we can get real nerdy about metrics and I'm real excited to do that. But before we do so, would you guys mind just giving everybody a little bit about yourselves? Sure, I'll go first. This is Chris Sietzma. I am a digital marketer with almost almost 20 years of experience, which sounds kind of crazy. Focused a lot recently in, in email and analytics and I've worked closely with my friend Chris Book. There you go. That was succinct, right to the point. I had a little bit of a different path than Chris Seaton. So Chris and I worked together years ago, right? When, when my career was relatively new, just right, right out of college, actually, in the agency world, in the marketing agency world, on the digital side of things. And then I deviated from that. I ended up on the client side working with the Walt Disney Company. And from there, started a couple companies, went into the success world, and then ultimately went on to business school. When I got out of business school, I led uh, corporate strategy and restructuring and a variety of other things and ultimately served as the head of expense management uh, for Sears Holdings Company, which is the parent company of Sears and Kmart. And then following that, Chris Sietzema and I got together and that ultimately is what created Metrics Agency, the company where we collectively worked out. I have so many questions I want to ask you about Disney, but I won't because that's an entirely separate podcast. 
So, okay. So metrics agency, you also have a podcast, which is amazing, which I love, which is mayhem to measurement. And you guys talk a lot about metrics and content metrics. And this is something, again, as I mentioned at the top of our, our, our call here, I'm excited to nerd out about because I'm sure you all have seen the statistics and you know the metrics, no pun intended. Um, but every year, Content Marketing Institute releases their massive like state of content marketing report. And every single year, it's the same story, where the number one problem every single marketer is facing is how do we measure all of this stuff that we're doing? Why is this a constant problem? Like, why is this something that we cannot seem to solve? Well, I think part of the problem is in the origin of the content and where it's coming from. Um, I think that too often, and I'm just, I'm just guessing here at some situations, but I've seen this happen in a couple different organizations that we've worked with as well. And that content is developed from a very specific question that a customer or prospect is asking. But there's not a lot of thought about, all right, where is that customer or prospect in their own personal journey? And how should we measure that according to where they are in that journey? So a lot of times content gets gets kind of lambasted for not producing sales or leads or whatever, which is totally unfair in many cases, because depending upon the context of that content, that's not what it's supposed to do. So a lot of times I don't think we we really think about what the purpose of that content is. And especially when reporting up to the C-suite, for example, they just want to see like, all right, how many, how many sales do we get? How much revenue are we getting from all this, all this stuff you're doing? And depending upon what the content's purpose is, we don't, we can't really do that. It's, it's, it's earlier in the journey. It's more upstream. And so aligning the metrics accordingly is really important. Yeah, so it's I, definitely a leadership problem from a large organization perspective. And what I mean by that is people, people have mortgages to pay. They, they, they don't really want to rock the boat. So they want to do exactly what their superiors want them to do. And as a result, they get caught in this trap of we're creating this piece of content. And we want to be able to show you X, Y, and Z exactly what it did. And the fallacy with that is that you become so focused on justifying your existence within the organization that you lose perspective of what exactly that content's supposed to do, or better yet, um, what the customer perspective actually is with that. And so when we start living organizationally on a spreadsheet rather than in the minds of our customers, we tend to get lost. And that really is where this big measurement issue emerges, at least on the content side. So I, I want to dig deeper in there, but we skipped over something very important right out of the gate here, Anna, which is like, how do people address you in the same office? Like, work, work together. Is this like a CS versus CB? Do one of you just embrace the last name? Is there like, you know, is, is, is there a Christopher amongst us? How, how do we do this? When we're in the same office, he's just addressed as the good looking one. And I'm ah. addressing, uh, yeah, for in person. Otherwise, very, very it, humble of you. Yeah, thank you. It does get kind of complicated though when we're on the phone for sure. Um, okay. So All right. Have, so we'll, we'll go CES and CB for today. Yeah. So there, there are people to this day that I've known literally my whole life that don't know what my first name is. It's, <laughs> it, it's been booked my entire existence. So All right. All that, right. that, that sort that. of becomes the, the common vernacular. <laughs> okay. So, so back to, to the intro that you guys just set up. And, and I love it because, you know, we're, we're not wasting high time here. There's going to be no BS on this episode. We're not going to, you know, waste time talking about how we shouldn't just measure how many views an asset got, but we have to actually contextualize it to, I think, as CS said, uh, you know, the stage of the buyer journey that we're in, right? And, and I guess my, my first question is, 
How are marketers even attempting to do this today? Like, are, are they not even trying or those who are trying, how, how have you seen them try and hack away at this? In terms of measuring pieces of content and what their true effectiveness is on whatever it is that the trend is that you're talking about. So how do they? Yeah. Well, what I liked your point is, you know, some of that content may be really geared and, and helping at the top of the funnel versus the bottom of the funnel. That's what I, when you said stage of their journey, that's, that's what I'm thinking. So whether it's a, a consumer product, like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to get a new iPhone for the holidays, or if it's, you know, B2B purchase, uh, you know, like software, you know, there's different stages in which I might be at in terms of my research. Sure. So, the, you know, we've all been to marketing school or at least are aware of what the funnel or the, that journey is. And typically it's explained as attention, interest, desire and action. Right. Typically, I think that's somewhat helpful. I, I found it actually more helpful to explain it like this, where you have a catalyst or a trigger something that spurs on an interest in, in purchasing a product or at least investigating purchase of that product. Then you kind of move into this passive exploration phase in which you're kind of looking, you're kind of gaining some information. And this is the part where content actually comes into play quite a bit. You move from passive to active exploration where it's like, all right, I know what I want. I'm just trying to kind of finalize my criteria here and really start to make a decision. And then you move into deciding. So you kind of pick between a couple of options and then experiencing an advocacy. That's kind of how I view the, 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 the journey. And I'll explain it that way. But depending upon where you're at, whether you're a catalyst or passive exploration or active exploration or deciding or experiencing or advocacy, content has a role to play there. And so number one is understanding what, what this particular asset does and where it fits in that funnel. Um, a lot of content that we develop now is primarily to help people answer really specific questions as they're going through that exploration phase. However, how do they even get to that exploration phase? Maybe we can use content as a catalyst or a trigger. And so understanding primarily where that content fits um, helps us measure it correctly and fairly. And so that we're not comparing one piece of content or, or one asset that's supposed to just kind of allow people to investigate on their own against uh, a piece of content that's really going to uh, encourage sales and, and drive conversion because it's two totally different things, right? I'm such an advocate for the customer journey, regardless of what it is, whether it's in sort of that basic, typical funnel, as you had described, or even if going way deep into journey maps. But I can say firsthand from being on the other side and being on the content creation side that that is definitely not the model that people adopt. And I completely agree with you that people do just sort of, you know, unfortunately, we get tasked with this thing of, well, we need X piece of content to create X piece of thing. And then it's just sort of done. So how do you get organizations to kind of stop and slow down and think about this? Because that is that's not even just a strategy change. That's almost an organizational shift, which sometimes are the most difficult part for, for especially for content creators, content marketers. It's just, it's so hard. So how do you get that organizational shift going? Well, hopefully, you know, the question we ask typically right out of the gate is, can we take a look at your customer journey? Do you have any documentation that says like, you know, here's how customers move from point A to point C? In most cases, thankfully, knock on wood, they, they have something. Whether it's perfect or not, you know, we don't necessarily know. In cases where they don't, we actually have to kind of walk through that process with them and start asking questions. Um, and not only ask them, the, the customer, our clients questions, but actually ask their customers questions. Um, because in my opinion, the best way to get asked at the customer journey is to actually talk to people <laughs> who, are, who are going through that journey Weird. and understand what, what hurdles and questions and 
purpose they have throughout that whole thing. So it also, that's the foundation, right? So without that, it's very difficult to really understand how to measure content appropriately and accurately um, without, without muddying the waters to a great degree. For sure. Chris Book, just curious, how did you handle all of this when you were at your organizations? Because you have so much client-side experience. And I say that because I'm, I'm typically agent-side, but you have so much organizational experience. How did you guys handle all of this? And, and even mapping content and measuring it and looking at journey flows and, and the purpose of content versus just sort of, at the end of the day, what it brought in? Well, it's a leadership problem. Ultimately, and, and that, that sort of is my, my de facto answer for, for just about everything. I generally fall back on the idea of leadership. But from an organizational perspective, at the top, you have to be able to set the tone and make people comfortable doing what they know is right. And true content professionals know the right things to do, generally speaking. Generally, they're thinking about things the right way. And when there starts to be friction is when they are doing things that they think meet your expectations or the way you would like things done, even though they know better. And that, frankly, is a little bit of a problem. So one, if you're at the top of an organization, you absolutely have to make sure that you're tapping into the minds of of the people that are ultimately creating the content or doing the work. They're the smart people. You need to find a way to let them do their jobs. Two, depending on the industry you're in, there can be a little bit of a shift in that regard. So just taking retail, for instance. Retail is an industry that, well, we're very comfortable with e-commerce now, still has a very archaic and very, call it analog, undertone to it all. And so the idea of using content and using things that aren't 100% 100% perfectly measurable from a conversion perspective end-to-end are a little bit tough. And so if you're at the top of the organization, helping a board understand that, educating a board, educating the rest of your executive team are absolutely paramount to do that. But when it comes to people creating the content, like I said, they know what's right. And your job is not to tell them what to do. It's to get out of their way and help them do their jobs better. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, when I'm not podcasting and, and running the team here, uh, which, you know, every once in a while, I find some time to do, right, Anna? We actually had this realization and, and it was it kind of came out of nowhere one day where <clears throat> we talk a lot like the term we try and sell to our, our buyers is around content experience, right? Which it's a buzzword. It's, you know, it's growing. I mean, that's the name of this podcast. But one of the things that we realized is that not everyone's actually searching for that, right? Like I started to have this joke, which was like the same as like if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a noise? It's like if there's an event and Randy's not there, is anyone actually talking about content experience? And uh, what we ultimately landed on was that we needed to kind of lead with content that was more on the thoughts and Trojan horse in our topic. So, you know, for those listening, your topic may not be content experience, but I think, you know, the point being being put here is sometimes leadership has to step up and say, okay, well, what are we going to lead with, right? And then when do we pull in the right content to get them to consider our actual solution? And I think that, you know, to CS's earlier point, it's, you know, what triggers, what is that catalyst up at the beginning versus when do we actually start to inject the content that's more relevant to the topic or the buy, the buying decision that's at hand. So I'd love to dig a little bit more into that, but I, I think we need time for a short break. We'll hear from some of our sponsors, and then we'll pick this conversation back up, including I'd love to hit on like who owns this decision and who owns this measurement inside the org. 
Hi friends, this is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, reminding you that this show, the Connect Show podcast, is brought to you by Uberflip, the number one content experience platform. Do you ever wonder how content experience affects your marketing results? Well, you can find out in the first ever content experience report, where Uberflip uncovers eight data science-backed insights to boost your content engagement and your conversions. It's a killer report, and you do not want to miss it. Get your free copy right now at uberflip.com slash connex show report. That's uberflip.com slash connex show report. And the show is also brought to you by our team at Convince and Convert Consulting. If you've got a terrific content marketing program, but you want to take it to the very next level, we can help. Convince and Convert works with the world's most iconic brands to increase the effectiveness of their content marketing, social media marketing, digital marketing, and word of mouth marketing. Find us at convinceandconvert.com. We are back here with the Chris's. We are talking about measurement of content. And yes, we have to make sure that our investment is proving worthwhile. Um, yeah, the question that, that we kind of ended off before the break was who's responsible for all this? And and you know, Chris Book kind of you know said it we we need to empower leaders, we need those leaders to focus on this. They need to set that tone, but end of the day. Who do you find most often on the team is charged with digging into the measurement? Is it is it the content marketer who's often you know maybe an author? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's typically people who are on the front lines. You know, like you you produce this content, you publish this content, you promoted it. Now you have to measure it too, which is why we say, in terms of clients, well, folks on the client side and on the agency side that we work with, like everybody should do analytics. Everybody should have the ability to measure. So in most cases, yeah, everybody's responsible for their own stuff in their own silo, but that also leads to kind of a bigger problem in that there's, there's a silo to begin with, right? So when we find that, we kind of try and shake that up a little bit and have someone at the manager or the director level ultimately responsible for bringing all those metrics together. So they tell one cohesive story about what's really happening. But to answer your original question, it's typically somebody who is actually doing the promotion. We don't find too often that the analyst is charged with measuring content. Typically analysts within the organization have bigger metrics fish to fry and the content kind of gets left by the wayside or or left for the content marketing people to measure. That's a really important point. Just in the sense that if you're the person creating that content, you need to fight very hard to make sure that people understand the value of it. There's a little bit of an educational responsibility on you to educate up the chain of command to make them understand why this is a vital part or why it's a vital piece of the puzzle. And I, I don't know that, frankly, at the higher levels of companies, most people even understand what's being done from a content perspective. They, they see it and they think, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool, great, great video, whatever. But I don't think they understand the role that plays. And so while you are obviously measuring your content and creating more content, You've got to spend equal equal time educating people within your organization as to why that's important because that's going to pay dividends for you many times over down the road. I totally agree. And and that's something that as I was coming up as a writer, I just had to learn how to do because what I found, and I'm sure a lot of other people, I'm sure you all see this all the time, is you know, you're sort of left with a writer who is creating the content, but then has to measure it. But then SEO comes in and says, well, we did this part, so we should get credit for that. And paid comes in and says, well, we drove this much amount of traffic, so we should get this credit. And it sort of starts to get picked apart by all these different departments or divisions or roles. So where do you actually recommend 
that people begin and start to look at content more holistically and start to break down those silos and start to bridge with other teams? Like, where can people just start to learn how to measure content the right way? Yeah. So again, I think it comes down to the foundational goal of what that content is supposed to do. So understanding what that objective is, but when you break it down a little bit further, I think content can be content measurement can be viewed a few different ways. Number one, can I find it? You know, is, is, is it easily accessible wherever it's supposed to be easily accessible? And then once you've actually accessed it, or if you're on that page or that experience where you're supposed to interact with that content or download it or hit the play button, whatever that mode is for the content, can you actually do so? Is it merchandised well? And so a lot of what we do uh, from a metric standpoint is find that while people got to it, they, they found it. They just didn't do anything with it. They couldn't, they couldn't find the download button. So the usability component comes in quite a bit too. Then it's the experience part. So actually of those people that played with that widget or, or watched that video or downloaded that white paper or whatever, again, whatever the mode is and that production it is, we try and keep track of who those people are and understand, well, all right, they experienced that, that uh, piece of content. Then what did they do? And then what happened next? Because if, it's, if that content is, is doing its job, typically, like we talked about earlier, it's moving that person along into the next phase of their journey and, and, and down that marketing funnel. So typically, it's find it, access it, and experience it. And hopefully, this doesn't happen too often. I don't know if you guys find it as well, but advocacy and sharing content isn't something that it, we definitely want to measure it and look for it. But um, it's something that... Uh, doesn't happen in, in terms of the same volume as we see people experience things. I don't know if you guys find that as well. Yeah, I, I, first of all, this is absolutely the tune that I love to, to talk to all the time. I mean, this is content experience and, and that's, it's something that I think is so overlooked. And, and I think you know, we're talking a lot about who owns this. It's, it's a real question and a real challenge. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge, not, I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree. I'm just gonna be a shit disturber just for the hell of it here. So we were saying earlier, and Anna, you said like, you know, people have to learn the analytical side, right? But is that fair, right? I mean, we always hear about people talking about left brain and right brain. So these creative people who can write an amazing piece of content, how deep should they be expected to go into measurement? Um, so I don't know, like in a book, maybe you can weigh in on this. You know, do you see people adapting well to this? Is it a reasonable expectation or should we have a different role in the organization to own measurement? It does depend on the organization and looking at the truly creative people, there's certainly a faction of them that's, that are resistant to, to the measurement side of it. They, they want to be creative and they almost, they almost feel constrained. If, if you're going to put this measurement layer on it, it's going to, going to inhibit my artistic process or I, I, I don't know, I'm not a creative person, so I don't know what that's like. But for truly creative people that have had an open mind with this, that have come to the measurement side, they're actually better analysts. They, they really are. And, and part of it is just because they're able to, th- through their, their creative genes, look at things very differently than most people do. And that enables them to get to levels of insight that those of us that are doing it every day and following a typical analytics process can't do. And so I, I guess the takeaway from this is if you're truly creative, take that creativity and apply it to the way you measure things as well, because you're going to be very, very effective, probably better than, than most people that have been measuring things their entire careers. Uh, just to add something there too, I, I agree with everything that Chris just said, especially on the creative side where pe- they, they become actually really excellent measurement people, um, primarily because those metrics unveil what their next creative piece should be or what it should involve. And I think 
Yes, I think we should. I think we should expect that of those folks, especially if they want to take credit for the good work that they're doing. Is that fair? I don't know if it's fair or not, but it's if they want to continue to keep doing great work, I think they should have to prove the, their value and, and their role in producing materials that encourage action and inspire by behavior or or whatever the whatever the objective is, right? So I think I think that's okay, and it, and that's part of our challenge in terms of how we teach and instruct and, and and consult with people who are new and a little bit unfamiliar with metrics. Because let's be honest, it can be kind of scary. Like if you look at Google Analytics, it's it's like a rat's nest in there sometimes, right? So all that can be very confusing and convoluting, and so we try and kind of break it down into very specific and workable pieces that um, simplify things and just make it a lot easier. And we also try and add a lot of humor and levity to the conversation too. So there's not as much stress and worry and fear involved when it's time to actually jump into those metrics. Nice. But if you're a creative person or if you're, let's say you're a content marketer, why wouldn't you want to measure? Because the, the whole reason your role exists and the whole reason you're applying your creativity to this is to influence people. So if that's the goal, you would want to measure. You're, you're not creating content purely to express yourself and make yourself happy. It's an entirely different type of, of creative endeavor, I think. I was actually going to take it a step further and just put like a stake in the ground right now because coming from the content creation side, the creative side, I actually absolutely think it's a necessity. I don't think it's an option anymore. I don't think that content creators can just sit back and write content and then have it do whatever and then get their assignments. From firsthand experience, learning all those metrics, knowing how to read them, understanding the pathways that people get to it, I was able to fight for content. I was able to fight for strategy and justify things that other people didn't want to do that I knew was a success. And so I actually am going to just go ahead and take it all the way and say, I don't think it's an option anymore. I just think it it should happen. It needs to happen. And book, I agree with you completely. I think, you know, it it's it's to further their career and it's to empower them. It's a good thing. There's yeah. no downside to it. No, there really isn't. I'm with you, Anna. I think uh, <laughs> I think the content marketer's job is not to, or the content creator's job is not to create content. It's to create content that really works. And you can't prove that it works without some of those metrics and, and analytics to say, here's what we did and here's why we should, we should continue to do it. Um, so you can have those, you can make a case, especially internally when it's time to get more budget or, or more time or more people or resources to create more amazing stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So now that we've put this stake in the ground, guys, thank you so much for joining us. We, I feel like you guys gave us so much information and so much great perspective. And I love that we jumped into this conversation, not about, you know, what numbers to look at and what, you know, buttons to click in Google Analytics, but to actually start to bring this conversation about measurement up to a strategic level and get everybody on the right path. For more in-depth conversations, people can actually follow you on your podcast. Where can they listen to it? You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much everywhere. Uh, Mayhem Dimensions, the name of the podcast. You can also find us on or find the podcast on our site at metricsagency.com. Nice. So you got you got double Chris every week on the podcast. Guys, thank you so much again for being here. We would love to have you stick around. Um, now that we've talked about all this great professional stuff, we're going to get to know you um, some more with a little bit of like silly personal questions and, and fun facts. So stick around, everybody. And we are going to be right back with Chris and Chris. All right. So, so we know that the Chris's are only distinguishable by looks so far, but we, we want to get to know you a little bit better and, and get to know the people behind. So 
I was trying to think of something unique that would cross both of you. And, and I'm, I'm going to pick up on something that book said earlier, which was he worked at Disney and, and Anna wanted to go there. So I'm going to go there for each of us. We are going to disclose over the next two minutes, one of two things, either if you were a Disney character, who would you be? Right. Um, and if you can't think of that, cause you know, there's so many great characters. If you could live through an animated Disney film, which one would you want to live through? Anna, you can even go first, like if, if you want. I mean, just so that we give give our guests the luxury of having, having a little bit of time oh, to, yeah. to really identify themselves for the rest of their lives as Disney characters. Okay, so I mean, I guess if I were to be a Disney character, I'm a big fan of like all things spooky and scary. So, I mean, I'm going to go a little bit off your question and I'm going to go with a ride because I'm much more of like a Disneyland fanatic. Uh, that's all right. We'll let it slide. Okay. So I would definitely be in the Haunted Mansion, potentially as the bus in the graveyard. I think that's fun because like I love that right. song. Or just Dark, you know, dark yeah, but okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I would go Haunted Mansion. I'd be like a character in there freaking people out. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, book looks ready. Uh, it feels ready. I, I can see him, even though we're doing this podcast through audio. But, you know, what do you got? I would change from where I was at a few years ago. So with The Incredibles 2, which I believe recently came out, I saw a lot of adults dressed up as members of The Incredibles on Halloween. <laughs> and that bothered me because years ago, I commandeered um, a very authentic Mr. Incredible outfit. And... That, that was my signature for a long time. It was, it was great for weddings or showing up at random dinners with people you didn't really like. Nice. Nice. So, so that, that was great. But now that everybody's walking around as Mr. Incredible, I think that's out. So jumping on the ride thing a little bit, I would go Pirates of the Caribbean and the ride, not the movie, because there were plenty of days when I would have meetings down at Disneyland. So I'd, I'd, I'd drop down from, from the office in Burbank, go to Disneyland. But Anaheim is very, very hot in the summer. And, you know, traffic in L.A. is bad. So you're up really early getting out of there and all that. So you're you're kind of tired. So when we would break for lunch, I would sneak across the street and visit the Pirates ride because it's 65 degrees and humid and damp and very comfortable in there. And I would spread out in the back row on one of those boats and do two (laughs) or three laps and catch a little bit of a nap and then go back for fresh for the afternoon. So having actually lived that out, I think that's the way to go. Amazing. Pirate's life, it shall be. All right, uh, Chris, what do you got? Yeah, I, so I have a quick question for the other Chris real quick, because I don't think I've ever asked him this before. Did you ever go to the, what is that private room in like the French Quarter in Disney? Club 33. No, I did not. It is oddly exclusive. And to, to get into. So when I was there, there was the story that I believe, I, this is a story I was told. I don't know if this is 100% true, but apparently Kobe Bryant, who was still playing with the Lakers at the time, tried to get in there and was turned away. Wow. I don't know how valid that is, but apparently it's very exclusive. Maybe it was at a questionable time in his career. Chris, what do you got? I'm assuming that everybody on the, on the call has seen The Lion King. I would, yes. I would think I would go with that monkey, the Rafiki guy. Nice. The guy who holds nice. up Simba. I would definitely be him. He seems like uh, he's pretty wise and he's got a good sense of humor. And I think think if I remember correctly, he knows Kung Fu. So all those seem like pretty fun qualities that I would, I, I definitely admire. So Amazing. I, I like Rafiki. Rafiki. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I just took my son to see the Lion King in uh, 
in New York about a month or two ago. It's great. Awesome. It's great. All right, I'll finish off only because I'm excited for this movie to come out in in real life animation or whatever it's 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 known as now. I, I hit that terminology wrong, but Aladdin, like Aladdin, is it's just all about perseverance, right? You know, nothing you know set him down. He never stopped trying. I love that. I love that. You know, that mentality. So I'm going to go with that, and I will definitely be seeing Aladdin when it comes out. I, I, who's in it? Like Will Smith or something? Right? Yeah, he's the genie, I think. Yeah. Genie, nice, nice. That'll be great. Well, guys, thanks so much for for joining us and and also for having a little fun with us at the end here. Uh, always fun to talk Disney and metrics in the same podcast, which you know happens all the time. Uh, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tune in to the rest of our episodes uh, that that are everywhere you can find a podcast from Spotify to iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, and until next time, thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Connex Show. I'm Randy, Anna by my side with two Chris's. Take care. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.